0: You are listening to the Lima Community Church podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Merry Christmas. Wow, that was incredible, wasn't it? That was their third go at it. I wish I had those pipes. But alas, I don't. But wow, it's so great to see you tonight. If I'm guessing, uh, there's a bunch of you that are uh, sitting here and you're in a food coma, <laughs> right? Because you're coming from some kind of family thing, and um, you, you're about ready to fall asleep. And I, I, you know, or there's some of you that are supposed to go after this, and so you're so hungry right now you can't think about anything. But right? No. No, okay. Most of you have eaten. That might not be good for me, but it's just a it's just a unique time of the year, right? It's busy. It's it's um it's it's so fun. It, it, you know, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, right? Those are the words that Andy Williams sings every year at this time, and I think in a lot of our eyes, we uh, we want to romanticize Christmas time, and it it kind of we want it to echo some kind of a Norman Rockwell painting, right? Uh, And if I look back, I have such beautiful memories of this season. I I love this season. But if we're truthful, we all know that Christmas, uh, we want it to be this fixer for everything, but really it's a magnifier of the good, bad, and ugly in our life, right? If things are going good at Christmas, it's really good. If it's bad, it's not so good. If it's ugly, Right? It's just like this magnifier of all the things. It just brings out all the things. And what we hope for in the season so often doesn't, doesn't always match the reality. Family members still argue, or maybe some of you aren't seeing some family members because they've just chosen to stay away. Parties brim with people, and yet loneliness surprisingly persists. Joy remains elusive in the blur and the speed of the whole season. And honestly, if we're just being real, Christmas, it magnifies what real life is. And instead of always experiencing some Norman Rockwell version of Christmas, many times for many, it ends up, they end up experiencing some version of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation right? It's no wonder it's so popular, because there's something we all can identify with, and that it seems like, and it's just, that's Christmas, and it brings a lot of things, and I think it brings sometimes a lot of stress. I'm going to blow your mind here for a minute, all right? You waiting? Uh, you know, like, part of Christmas is it's all the food, especially the desserts, right? Like, I mean, cookies, and and just on and on and on. Did you know that stressed, the word stressed spelled backwards is desserts? Your mind's blown, isn't it? It all makes sense now. It's like this natural attraction that I'm stressed. So obviously I eat desserts. I'm supposed to. It's like it's the same thing, same word, right? I mean, I've found out that even gift, this whole idea of gifting in this season can be a little bit stressful, to be honest. I, I really, I, I, I get stressed out about what to buy, um, the right gift, um, what do they want? What do they, you know? Um, is it going to get there in time? You know, I'm checking Prime, the, the, all the things, or um, or is it sold out? I've even realized that as I've gotten older, even gift receiving is a little bit stressful. Are you with me? Because here's the way it is: you have to learn how to receive gifts, even those gifts that you're like, "Are you kidding me?" Maybe it's just me. Uh, you're, you know, like some of you, maybe the last couple of days you've already perfected these phrases, or you're going to the next couple of days. But you know, like, well, man, that's that's a gift. <laughs> that's such an interesting color, too, right? <laughs> Anybody else with me? Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, you just look at your wife, like, yeah. Um. You know, the number one thing we say often is no, no, you really shouldn't have. No, you really, really shouldn't have. If you're like me, also as a male, you've probably finished shopping maybe even this afternoon, some of you. Um, you're coming here from finishing up. But it reminds me of the story of a woman who was doing her last minute Christmas shopping at a crowded mall and she was tired of fighting the crowds tired of standing in lines, tired of fighting her way down long aisles only to come looking for a gift that had already been sold out. Her arms were full of packages as she stood at the elevator. And the door opens and it's crowded, it's full. And and yet the people in there can see that she's struggling, and so they, they make room, they tighten their ranks up a little bit, invite her in, and she's holding all this, the door closes, and just in her frustration, she just to, to the whole elevator says, "Whoever is responsible for this whole Christmas thing should be arrested, shot and, str- and strung, strung up and shot." And kind of people laughed and agreed, except for the one voice in the back who says, "It's all right, don't worry. they've already crucified him." You know, whatever you're experiencing, I'm so glad that you're here for these moments. Over the over this month, here words like hope, peace, joy, and love have held our attention. They're words that this season and this story give meaning to. And this story, these words come alive. And actually, this season represents the start of the new kingdom, a kingdom that is represented by hope, peace, joy, and love. What we celebrate this evening is the start of a kingdom that is advancing and will be established. And the creation of a new heaven and a new earth is what waits ahead. And so we live with hope peace, joy, and love, because he is going to reconcile this whole world. And honestly, this night is the night that that revolution took a major step. And because of that, it frames how we see the world, how we live in the world, and we actually can live into hope, peace, joy, and love. And a crazy stressed out world that even something like this that's simple and silent and and, and it should be peaceful has become this huge commercialized, out of control thing, the month of December. You know, I wanna share um, just kind of a story to kind of frame uh, what John wrote about Jesus' birth, the apostle John I think this story kind of captures the essence of of the season. Go with me or in your mind, think about the mid-1800s. The story takes place in a a small French town. Um, It's the story of a man named Placidi Rockmar. I practiced that. I watched a lot of Pink Panther movies before I... Some of you, that went right over your head. Um, you know, Professor Clouseau, but um, no, it's a French town. It's the story of Placidi. This town was built around the Catholic church in that town. It was was the hub, the center of the social life, everything. And, And that town was so excited that year of 1847 because they had worked long and hard to restore the stained glass in their church. And it was finished and it was gonna be finished in time for Christmas Eve mass. And the parish priest was excited and he, he actually thought, man, maybe we, should, uh, maybe we should do something special. So he reached as out to, to Placidi and asked him if he would write a poem. He was, he, was known for a po- he was known for his poetry and actually it was kind of interesting because he was far more known for his poetry than he was for his church attendance. Um, it was an interesting ask, but he was, he was honored that the priest would ask him. and He actually was thinking about it one afternoon as he's going from, from his home, this French village, to Paris. He's in this um, dusty coach traveling down, as the story goes, this bumpy road. And he's thinking about what he would write on Christmas Eve for Mass. He begins to use the book of Luke in chapter two as his guide and he he begins to imagine witnessing the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. He has these thoughts of being present and and being present on that night and it begins to inspire him and it inspires him so much that by the time he arrives to Paris, this short trip, he's already wrote this poem, Contique de Noël. The more he looks at his poem, he realizes, you know what? We should do more. This should be more than just read. This should be sung. So he reaches out to one of his friends in Paris, a well-known composer, and asks him to, to write some music to go along with this poem that he's written. It was an interesting ask, because the, the man that was his friend was a Jewish man. This Jewish man who was gonna take this poem about the night of Jesus' birth. This Jewish man that, that didn't celebrate this holiday and didn't believe in the, that Jesus was the son of God. He was being asked to write the music for this song. But he agrees, and together they work, and over the next couple weeks they put together this beautiful piece of music that actually that little French village sang that night for Christmas Eve mass. It was an instant hit. It was like Placidi captured, it captured what the nativity was about. And it resonated all throughout the French villages in that countryside. It was like that new number one hit on the radio. Like, it just, it just kept going to, to church, to village, to village, and they began to sing it. In fact, for the next couple years, it became one of the, the favorite songs of the French people as they celebrated Christmas. Placidi, uh, in his own personal journey, uh, abandons his faith in Jesus Christ. And, actually becomes one of the, the leaders in a soci, socialist movement. And the Catholic Church was so alarmed by this that they, they began to see that, well, this is the guy who wrote this song, the people love this song, uh, this is who he is now, and, and like, uh, they just decided to ban the song. It wasn't allowed to be sung in any of the churches in France. Yet, even though they tried to ban it, it was still sung. People wouldn't stop singing it. And it made its way across the ocean to the United States. If you think about the 1850s, uh, we're about ready to go into the Civil War, right? And this composer, this American composer, this musician, hears this song and he, the, 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 just the climate of the day also, he just feels like this song needs to be sung and actually becomes instrumental in this song gaining immense popularity in our country alone. In fact, in 1906, the first time a radio was, the waves were used for a radio to to offer words across the, the airwaves. The first words that were uttered on the radio was Luke chapter two. And right after Luke chapter two was read this song, was the first song ever sung on the radio. Think about all the songs right now. Just think about all the songs that are being sung on radios right now. There's millions and millions of songs. The first one ever sung was Cantique de Noel. Oh, holy night. Such an interesting history to this song. It's, it's this socialist, this Jew, this absolu- this uh, abso- abolitionist who, uh, and that sounds like the start of a joke, doesn't it? It was a socialist, a Jew, and that have... There's this countrywide band to this song, and then it, it becomes this, it's a part of this landmark moment in the history of communication. This song, it has all of these things, but honestly, It's the words that were written that has caused this song to not be stopped from from being sung. Listen to the words as Placidi captures us. He writes these words, long lay the world in sin and error pining He captures this human condition that's transcended generations, cultures, circumstances. It wouldn't have mattered if he would have lived in 16th century China or 12th century Ireland or 18th century France or 20th century America. These words ring true. It's the condition, the wrestling that all of us have with this reality that the image of God in our lives has been marred and distorted. We have turned inward to ourselves and to the creation and we have forsaken our creator. He uses this word pining. It's this this idea of waste, the wasting away of the human spirit as it grieves that something is missing, something is lost. He uses the word that we lay in our sin, the sin that all of us are so familiar with that's gripped our lives, causing dysfunction, chaos, guilt. Shame. It's just blossom into hatred, envy, strife, and all sorts of evil. In our sin, we have lost sight of our original design and purpose. And because of that, as Placidi writes, he writes that air exists everywhere. Long lay the world in sin and air longing for something more, wasting away and yet hoping for something more. It's exactly what John writes in his gospel as he's beginning to introduce Jesus when he says these words. Jesus, he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not even recognize him even the ones that he had established as his people that provided the forerunner for him to come into the world, that when he does come into the world, they're so caught up in their own, their own uh, management of sin, religion, that they can't even recognize who he is. And they're pining, and you're pining, and I'm pining, longing, For something better, something to fix this. And as he continues to write, he he writes this, till he appears and the soul feels its worth. There's certain phrases that just stick with you. This is one for me. I know it's maybe for you, it's like, wow, it's not very um, not very deep, but this phrase I've never gotten away from. What is the soul worth? As Placidi writes, he, he taps into this intrinsic value of who we are as humans. It's, it's this, this thing that in our culture, it's always been wrestled with this, how valuable truly are we? And, and for so many, the recognition is, well, the value only exists in the life you live now. This is all there is, get all you can get. The value of, is the temporary time so often the voices externally and internally have have downplayed the value of who we are created in the image of God. We've ignored, neglected, or or distorted this idea as being made in his image. We have this eternal part of us, the soul. Placidi captures that and reminds us that when he appeared, He begins to help us understand just how much our worth is. Our true worth becomes grounded in the fact that God sends Jesus to us. God loves us this much. Our soul is worth this much that the transcendent God becomes imminent and dwells among us. It's why John, as he's writing about Jesus coming into the world, he says this, that the word, God himself became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And because of this, we've seen the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is how much you and I are worth. God himself becomes one of us. He continues to write a, a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. Weary, what a word that we can relate to so often. We're weary from so many things, but oftentimes the weariness that we often experience is the weariness is deep within us. The fatigue that goes right to our soul is, what's the right way? What's the right thing? What, what is right? Is, is life worth living? Is, is God really existing? And does he really care? And Placidi writes, a thrill of hope that causes the weary world to rejoice and it's what John would have said that as he writes about Jesus, he says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not, cannot overcome it. (laughs) He continues to write in John 1, 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into he helps us to understand that there is something, there is something that is more powerful, more trustworthy, more stable than the weariness of our soul and not knowing what's right. And does this life matter? Are we significant? Is there hope? And it's in the light that Jesus is. And this light is a light that the darkness cannot overcome. And as he continues to write, his only, his only words that he can go forward with, and it's, it's like it's the only response that you and I could have when we begin to understand what this night represents is fall on your knees. It's this, I'm done. I'm out of ideas, I'm out of strength, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm done. I, I see that I can't fix it. I, I'm just going to allow what Christ has done in coming into the world for me to become what I cling to and hope in. That's why John would write this Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in what this was about, who he was, what he could do. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. To become children of God. You see, really, I think what Placidi captures is the story that John then rolls out in his gospel that longing becomes belonging in this night. Longing becomes belonging this is your story. This isn't some just historical event that, you know, culturally, this, as he tried to write, long lay the world in sin and that's me, till he appears and I understand how valuable I am. A thrill of hope, there is something that can then take care, is the fix. He invites you and I to simply throw ourselves, fall on our knees, and turn longing into belonging. And so when I read for you today the story, the same story that Placidi was reading and thinking about as he's writing, "O holy Night," that we're going to sing here in a minute," I invite you to, to understand that this is your story. This isn't the church's story or some Like, this is the individual story of you and me. Christ comes for one reason, to turn your longing into belonging. Would you listen as I read the story this evening? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, this story, we know the details I pray tonight that we would know that this is our story. This was for every single one of us. As John wrote, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He wrote that this was the light that came into the world and the darkness could not overcome it. And that to as many as believed in who Jesus was, to them he became, to them they became the sons, the children of God. Hey Lord, each one of us believe in, rest on, trust in, what you did when you came into this world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.